Um, I want to begin today by reading something to you that I'd love you to really contemplate and think on. Max Lucado writes, Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him. Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him or vice versa. It could be that his knees were bony. One thing's for sure. He was, while completely divine, completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got colds, burped, and had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. And his head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light is, well, it seems almost irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It is much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation. Clean the manure from around the manger. Wipe the sweat out of his eyes and pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. A few weeks ago, as we're studying through Hebrews, we talked about how for some people, it is most difficult to see Jesus as someone other than a guy who lived 2,000 years ago as a prophet or a teacher, a religious leader of some sort. And the author of Hebrews goes out of their way to emphasize that this Jesus was more than just another guy in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, that this guy happened to be God and God was him. But today's passage, we're going to actually go on the other side of this equation because while people who aren't connected to the church or to faith may have a difficult time believing that Jesus is God, people within the church, people with faith have a hard time understanding Jesus as we just described him as completely human. It's hard for us to believe that Jesus stubbed his toe. It's hard for us to believe that that hurt him the same as it hurts you and I. It's hard to believe that Jesus uh, didn't sleep well at night. It's hard to believe that Jesus got food poisoning. It's hard to believe Jesus was just as human as you and I are and experienced the things that we experience today. And that very naturally leads us to a question then, why would God do that? Why would God take on human form? Why would God become like us. Why did God become human? And so welcome to Madison Church. Um, if I didn't say it before, my name is Stephen. I'm lead pastor here, and we are in a series called Finding My Faith. And we're going through the first four chapters of the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament. And so uh, throughout this series, we're just going verse by verse, word by word, page by page. And it is a great way to study the Bible. And so we're going to go to Hebrews chapter two. And so if you want to follow along in your own Bible, or if you have a, a Bible app, you can go ahead and do that. We'll also have words on the screen as well. And the reason that going through a book in the Bible verse by verse is so powerful is because it helps us to understand the full picture of what the author is wanting to communicate. 
It helps us to even talk about things that we otherwise wouldn't normally talk about. Sometimes we get into passages that are confusing and we just kind of read over them. But in a series like this, we don't read over anything. We stop at every word. We stop at every phrase. We stop at every sentence. And we, we say, what does this mean? And not only what does it mean, but what is the application for today? And some of the topics that we've covered in the last few weeks, we talked about, does God still speak to us today? We said, yeah, there's evidence to, to say that he does but God doesn't always speak. So what do we do with that? What do we do when God is silent? And today we want to talk about why did God become a human? And this is going to be a regular theme throughout the entire letter to the Hebrews, not just in this series, but uh, later this fall, when we continue the series through Hebrews, we're going to talk about Jesus's humanity a lot because it was a major point of misunderstanding for the first few centuries of Christianity, of the church. And if you've missed one of the previous weeks, don't worry, I will fill you in with the information that you need to understand today so that it makes sense. But if you're curious about the rest of the series, it is all up on our YouTube channel. And like I said, we're going to Hebrews chapter two. We're going to read from verse 10 and we're going to verse 18. So it is a longer bit of passage and we're going to read it all first and then we'll come back and break it down. The writer says, God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering, a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is I and the children God has given me. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood for only as human being, as a human being, could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. So yes, today we're talking about Jesus's humanity, but even before we dive into that, the author of Hebrews does not want you to forget that Jesus is God and God is Jesus. God from whom everything was made. Jesus is divine. But then the author kind of goes into this thing and he says that this divine person, he becomes a human to bring many children into glory. I kind of love some of this language. Last week, we talked about how um, God has a will. God has a choice. There are things that God wants to see happen. We also talked about how you and I have a will, how we can make choice, and how sometimes our will and God's will doesn't always line up. It doesn't. And then how that creates conflict. So when we made a choice to rebel against God, to wreck our relationship with him, And we do that every day, right? Intentionally or unintentionally, directly or indirectly. We hurt people we love or um, people we know, people we don't know. And so when we break the relationship, when we sin, it breaks our relationship. Now, God didn't have to do anything. 
God could have said, created this great world for you to live in. I put you in a garden. I gave you a ton of things to eat. I actually only said, don't eat from one thing. And you chose to do it anyway. Sucks to suck. And then that could have been the end of the Bible and our faith, right? But it's not. Because God chose to bring children into his glory. And he's talking about bringing us, people, men and women, into heaven with him. It was by his choice. And so because of this, God becomes a human. It's because of this desire to see you. It's because of his desire to know you and to not be separated from you that God decides that he's going to take on being a human, that he's going to take it on for everything it's worth, all the good stuff and all the bad stuff. Now, one thing I want to point out in this passage is that it says that God will bring many children into glory. Now we've talked in the past in this series as well, that Jesus died for everyone. Did Jesus die for all? That this is an open invitation to anybody who will accept it. And in this passage, it's kind of taken the flip side of that once again. And he's saying that many sons and daughters, many children will be brought into glory, but not all of them will. This goes back to this concept that God has a will and his will is that everybody would choose him. That God loves everybody, that he died for everyone, even those who would reject him. But that at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, we still get to make a choice. And so God will bring many children into glory. But not everyone will because of their choice. Now, Jesus becomes like us and he brings us into glory, not just for eternity later. I mean, that's great. Heaven's great. It sounds awesome. Can't wait to be there. But it's not just then and there. He's doing a work here. And now we continue reading Jesus and the ones he makes holy, have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters, and I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. We see that this language of family comes over and over again. That we're brothers and sisters with Jesus, that we have the same heavenly father. And this is something that is very much distinctly Christian. It's something that's distinctly within our faith. And that is this language of being a family, this language of being a community. And you got to love that even though we've messed up, that even though we've done things to ruin the relationship that we have with God, even though we hurt other people intentionally or unintentionally at different times, that he's not ashamed to call us a brother and sister. Some of you have siblings that you're ashamed of. You're not going to admit that you're related to them, right? You're just going to be like, no, we're not, not related. For some of you, you might have siblings who are ashamed of you, and that might be a point of pain in your life. For some of you, you might have parents that you're ashamed of. For some of you, your parents might be ashamed of you. And that's hard. There needs to be healing there and restoration. We hope for that. We believe for that. But right now in this place, no matter who's ashamed of you or if you're ashamed of them, you have to know that if Jesus was here, and he is in some sense, he is not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of you at all. He's willing to die for you and I to put his arm around you and say, this is my sister. This is my brother. This is my family. We have the same heavenly father. 
So not only is it just then and there for heaven and, and this great um, reunion that we're going to have someday, it's not just here and now, this wholeness that we have being a part of God's community. We have to talk about this part, and that's he became a human so that he could die. We read in verse 14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to help angels, but he came to help the descendants of Abraham. God becomes a human in part to die. And it's somber and it's real and it's heavy. He took on not just the good parts of being human. And there are some great parts of being human. There are some things that are fun and exciting. You have things that you look forward to. Life is not all bad. But if you've lived for more than a day, you know that there are bad parts of life. There are things that hurt. There are things that sting. There are scars. There's trauma and there's crisis. There's death. And God took on the whole experience so that he could die. And by dying, the author tells us that it breaks the power of the devil. So let's back up thousands of years before Jesus. People make mistakes. People hurt the relationship with God. They hurt the relationship with other people. We're lost. We don't know up from down. We have this broken relationship with God. God's desires to know all of us, but there's his will and there's our will. And last week, we also talked about God's war. Because of our competing wills, there is a spiritual war going on. And we may not understand from front to back, up to down, in all detail, the complexities of this framework of the spiritual war going on. We really probably understand that much of what's going on. But what the author is telling us, one of the things that we can understand is that in this spiritual war that's going on, the only way to win was for God to die. That the only way for you and I to be set free was for him to die. So yes, part of him becoming a human was for, for us getting into heaven, but for us to be part of God's family. But the somber reality of it is, is that he had to die for us. But in that, the language that we see here in this passage in the Greek is that of a warrior, of a champion. Not in the sense that people expected Jesus to come. If you were a first century Jew, you expected Jesus to come on a horse with a helmet and a sword and to conquer the Roman Empire like David conquered Goliath. But we see that there's a new understanding of a warrior. There's a new understanding of a victory. And it's what we see happen to Jesus, that it's in his death that there was victory. And it was an ironic victory because in it, you and I now can be brought into glory. Now we can say we've messed up. We're going to continue to mess up. We're going to mess up tomorrow and the day after and the day after. But because of that, because of the grace, love, and forgiveness, because of the victory that has happened, because God became a human and because God died, there is still freedom. We read verse 17. 
Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of people. Since he himself has gone through the suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. I love how the author wraps up this passage of what we're talking about today. He says, you know, God became a human and it's then and there and it's heaven and it's kingdom of God. And it's this great reunion. It's going to be great. But it's also here and now and, and, and life is tough, but, but Jesus isn't ashamed of you. He puts his arm around you and says, I got you. And, and he's broken this power. You have spiritual victory, even on the days it doesn't feel like it. But now the author says, you know, you have a, you have a high priest who can relate to you because he has gone through all sorts of suffering and testing just as you do, just as we do. Jesus knows what it's like to be human in every respect, and yet he chose not to sin. And yet, even in his worst mistakes, his accidents, he never directly or indirectly damaged his relationship with God or with other people. He lived the way that we should have lived. He lived that life that all of us should have lived. And even though we know it now, we still don't live up to that. And as a result, we all deserve death, but instead Jesus takes that on and he takes on that death. And in doing so, he can help us when we are being tested today. Jesus knows what it's like to have a good day, a bad day, a forgettable day. He knows what it's like when you're angry, when you're sad, when you're tired. And he can help you when you are being tested. I love what Thomas Long writes about this particular passage in Hebrews. He says, when the gaze of the eternal son of God encompasses a criminal on death row, when the glorified son sees a homeless woman crawling into a cardboard box to keep from freezing in the night, when the Lord of all sees a man robbed of dignity and purpose by schizophrenia, when the divine heir of all things sees a mother weeping over the death of a child or a man battling the last savage assault of cancer or the sw- cancer or the swollen body of a child slowly starving to death, he does not see a charity case. He does not see a pitiful victim. He does not see a hopeless cause. He sees a brother. He sees a sister. And he is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Jesus can relate to you and I in every way, not just the good parts of life, but also the bad parts of life, not just in life, but he can relate to us also in death, not just in death or in life, but in the mundane and in the forgettable and in precedented times and in unprecedented times, he can relate to us and help us. And we have a savior who doesn't see you as a project. We have a savior who doesn't see you as charity. We have a savior who sees you as someone who needs saving, but he sees you as a brother and as a sister. He sees you as a person. So then the question for us is we think about Jesus's humanity tonight. And we think about our humanity. When we look at the people on the street, whether they're homeless or they're sick, our coworkers we like, our coworkers we don't like, 
the neighbors we like, the neighbors we don't like, the family that we're ashamed of or the family who's ashamed of us, when we see them, do we see people to be loved or do we see projects to be fixed? And if we see projects to be fixed, that's more about us than it is about being like Christ because Christ sees people to be loved.